It's Wednesday, so that means we're back for another episode of The Game of Life. This week, you're in for a special treat. We have Kevin Arnovitz joining us on the podcast. Kevin is an NBA writer, editor for ESPN, writes for ESPN the magazine, is a man of many crafts. As you will see, I've had a lot of very interesting entrepreneurial, potential, world's most interesting men, people on this podcast, The Game of Life because that's what we do, and Kevin is definitely no exception. If you like the NBA and you're a forward thinker who wants to know what the NBA is going to look like in 2030 and 2050, you are going to love this episode. Kevin takes us a deep dive into the future of the NBA and what it has in store for us. But before we do... All right, welcome back to the Game of Life podcast. We've got Jeremy Lin on. Jeremy, what's going on? The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. He's like the eye of the hurricane because in the middle of the hurricane, it's really calm. And so Michael never tried to stop all the madness around him. What he learned was he just got calm in the middle of it. Stealing that pass at Staples, I was like, dude. <laughs> you know yeah give kobe a little glance after that what's up uh you want to be that person that when they walk into a room that people are happy to see you talk to me about working with ronaldo you helped coach ronaldo to become a great sleeper a human test tube thank you man i <laughs> I, I think that's like one notch up from being a human guinea pig they'll take it in a good uh, way and i just pray man like I just pray and I just thank God for for everything. The moment you realized, man, I'm in the NBA. Oh man, that was from day one. That was the 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 day I got drafted when I heard my name being called. Buckle up, the Game of Life podcast coming at you, where we bring to you the behind the scenes lives of NBA players, business savvy entrepreneurs, and top level performers in all fields of personal development. The podcast that helps you become the best version of you. All right, let's get at it. Kevin Arnovitz, one of the top writers in all of sports, joining us on the Game of Life podcast. Like I mentioned, quick little preview. You're going to learn about the NBA, the future of it, in-depth, behind the scene, why Kevin writes for a bigger purpose than just articles on basketball, and the future of when possibly somebody will come out in the NBA. All that coming right up. Buckle up. Game of Life podcast starts right now. Kevin Arnowitz, welcome to the Game of Life podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing great. Very excited to have you on. Kevin, an NBA writer for ESPN. One of the best NBA writers, in my opinion. And let's just start the audience out with a bang. You were recently nominated for a GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Magazine Article. This was the article on the official coming out party of Bill Kennedy, Um, the acceptance of embracing people for who they are in professional sports. Professional sports always looked at being like a macho front, and that's that's changing over the years. So tell us tell me about how you went about writing this article. Um, It's interesting because I don't regard myself all that much as an identity politics kind of person. I mean, I don't. Um, I, I've been out in the NBA since the moment I got there. It's, it's, it's an assistance I have, which is I'm, I'm adamant about that in every walk of life. You know, I don't, you know, I, 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 re, I will refuse to play the, oh, and, and what does your spouse do kind yeah. of game? I always answer it properly with, you know, 
my boyfriend or my partner is is this or is that. What does an integrated NBA, MLB, NFL for that matter, what does the sports world look like where, you know, gays are just as present as they are in any other sector? You know, the financial sector. Hell, the mm-hmm. CEO of Apple is gay. Um, and, and to the point where I, I think in, in sectors like technology, uh, you know, even finance, um, you know, certainly media, uh, it's just we don't really think about it anymore. And yet sports is the last sector of American life where it is still it, – it's not so much, oh, it's taboo. It, it just doesn't exist. I mean there's not an openly gay basketball player. There's not an openly gay NFL player. There's not an openly gay MLB player. And so you know, when, when Bill Kennedy uh, went through what he went through, first with the Rondo comments and whatnot, I, I just – and it was a story I wanted to tell and largely because you know, referees are an interesting – interesting member of the NBA cast. They are seen perpetually, but they are never heard by and large. They don't speak to the press. They don't, they're not even allowed to fraternize with players or coaches if they run into them at a restaurant. I mean, they are sort of cloistered, um, but they are very much part of what the NBA calls its family. And I just thought it'd be a really interesting story to tell largely because, you know, Bill Kennedy's this other type of creature, which is that, um, you know, we don't hear a lot about gay guys like that. We hear a lot about the, you know, we, we hear a lot about the celebrities. Um, we hear a lot about the activists, uh, but we don't hear a lot about the 47-year-old dude who just works a job. Do you think it will take a all-star type player or a player that is, let's say, more than just a bench or a role player to actually make a difference? If someone like that openly comes out, do you think it'll make it more easy for others to do the same? Is that what it's going to take? Yeah. And I, and I think, look, I think Jason, what Jason Collins did was great and he's a, Mm -hmm. he's a wonderful ambassador. I, that said, I do think the game will change when it is a rotation player or better. I mean, someone who, uh, here's a pivotal part of a, of a, of a team, somebody who is an indispensable member of, of a roster. And I think that will change it quite a bit all the, and I don't know that it's going to create a cascade effect. Right. Uh, you know, time will tell. I, I've always said that it's going to be a kid who comes up through the NCAA who, you know, is out in high school because he's yeah. of a certain generation, you know, has, you know, because he's got the best, you know, because he, he's got the best handle in, in the country goes to a North Carolina, Kentucky or any of the top 20 programs in the country. And because he is a coveted talent, nobody's going to care. I mean, um, and I, I think that is that's always how I thought it would happen. We're not seeing a ton of Division One players. There, there's there's one in football, at University of Arizona, but uh, we we haven't seen that yet. I, I'm curious to see how it happens. I think the issue in basketball is I think there there are gay players, and the, and the reason I, I, they don't come out is largely a question of job security. And on the team's part, I think it's risk aversion. Executives tend to be, most executives tend to be very risk averse. So the scenario is, if you had an openly gay player and he was, I don't want to say marginal, but any, let's say anything less than the seventh or eighth guy. He's in that seven, eight, nine, ten range, back end rotation player. And I, I think there are a lot of executives, and, and I've been told this, who say, hey, I don't have a personal problem with it. My team might not have a personal problem with it. But the 
fact of the matter is, if you bring an, this is what they say, if you bring an openly gay player in to the locker room, it does introduce an unknown variable. And I think there are a lot of unknown variables. I, th- I think there are a lot of guys in the league, um, whether because of biography or personality, you know, probably don't get the same look as equivalent talents because they represent an unknown variable and who knows what it'll do to the locker room. And, and well, now you're going to diff every time we go to a different city, you have members of the gay press there or, or, or just generally members of the press asking the same questions. Hey, what is it like playing with such and such? And Hey, how is that going to impact uh, my locker room? And so I think what there is, is just a, a this, an openly gay ball player would represent an element of risk in terms of chemistry the perception of a lot of executives. And therefore, why chance it? Why not just go get an equivalent player who doesn't bring that with them? And, and, and yet they all say the same thing, which is I don't personally have a problem. I don't even think my friend – it would be fine, but – it is yeah. an unknown variable, and they don't like unknown variables. Exactly. Risk and unknown. I think you hit the nail on the head. Until they see it work and work successfully, exactly. they're going to yeah, they're gonna shy away. It'll come, but yeah, In, very good point. Most NBA executives are positivists, and, and yep. I think that is. They want to see yep. exactly what you said. They, they, until, until they know it definitely works, and they don't want to be the guinea pig. Exactly. Um, and so I think the impact there is, I mean, they're, I mean right now they don't even have – they don't, there's no menu to order from. I mean, there, there isn't an openly gay player. They, they, they could target and acquire. And I think, but I do think that agents and players are very cognizant of that. And I do think to a player, Hey, you know what? I'll be done in 10 years and I'll still be in my thirties. I I can live a happy open life then, but you know what? I've worked too hard to get here. And why the, the financial risk involved in doing this now I've always said that there are great promotional opportunities, and I, I think it would actually be be a, it might even be a, a net plus. But I think the percep and perception is reality. Mm-hmm. Like my feeling is, is a player has a certain I don't want to say obligation. I don't think there, it's for anybody else to dictate anybody's timeline on this matter. But uh, look, change is always disruptive. That that's what change is. Integration sure. was disruptive. Any any fundamental change in civil society is disruptive and you do it and everybody it is disruptive and you know what then guess what people get over it and that that is generally the path and until someone takes the leap i I just think we're going to be in this holding pattern forever where you know there's this perception you're risking your career and then because executives are risk averse they won't acquire you and, and and whatnot i agree i agree one deal of uh, huge respect that I have for you is the passion that oozes out of you every time I talk to you about no matter what we're talking about. Is it travel? Is it fine cuisine, NBA? How did you get to where you are today? I know you followed your passion, but can you give the audience a background on yourself and how you became not only one of what I consider one of the top writers in any industry? Um, it was a hobby that got out of control. I I was never in sports journalism and um, I I was blogging about basketball independently in in 2006 and I had season tickets to the Clippers had really uh, kind of seats that were very advantageous for to study the game, which is front row upstairs center court. So you're sort of seeing all all the all the actions materialize. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a, a time in my 
in my career, I wasn't writing a lot. I was a producer and editor at National Public Radio at a show called Marketplace. And oh yeah, um, I, and so the blogging kind of became this this diary out you know outlet for me. I was just I was I was quite a fan back then, and, and that that was the Elton Brand team. It was really interesting, and I would just you know it would launch large conversations among the guys. They were my friends. We had we had tickets together, and uh, one of them said at some point, "Do you need to start a blog?" And at the time, there, there, sports wasn't a very bloggy place. I, I think most people associated blogs at that time with you know political blogs, people like Andrew Sullivan or or whoever. And you know, I said, well, "You know what the hell?" And <laughs> uh, about it, you know, ESPN started checking in, and I, I think it was at a point where they had a lot of conventional journalists, but wanted to, you know, we got to get into this blog business, you know, and. Uh, and ultimately I, I went about two, uh, about a little over two years later, they offered me a job, uh, to come in and, and, and blog basketball and also organize a, and, and build a blog, blog network of smart team bloggers. And, and that's sort of how I got into it. And, um, yeah. So again, it was a hot, I hadn't, when I started the blog, I had no, you know, professional yeah. or entrepreneurial ambitions. It was just this thing I was doing. I don't think my last name were on any of the posts until uh, I think like a year in. That's the coolest way to do it. If you got a hobby and it becomes a job, you really never work in a day in your life. Yeah, and a vocation becomes a vocation. Exactly. That's awesome. So one thing that I'm super into is what's coming next. I'm always trying to help my players that I work with become the best version of themselves and just kind of looking into the future of what's going to be the future of training on court, off court. And you're the same way. And I think you're ahead of the curve as uh, a deep visioning thinker. What do you think the NBA is going to be like, let's say 2030 or 2050? What do you think's next coming in the NBA? Let's start with, there's, there's different realms for sure. Let's start with like the marketing and growing the business side of it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think we're in a really interesting moment because by and large, there's this revenue, there's these, these various revenue streams that make up uh, the NBA business, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. ticket sales and suites and sponsorships and broadcast revenue, both national and each team's local deal, uh, merchandising and licensing and, and, and all that. So uh, I, I think in so many ways, a lot of those revenue streams are very uncertain going forward. I mean, people are going to be watching games, of course, but the broadcast industry is being disrupted right now. And, you know, I, I, I think who knows who will, how the game will be distributed coming forward. We're all watching stuff on our phones and, and cutting the cord and watching things on laptops. And, and now you're looking at VR and, and will there, will the game watching experience even remotely, will we talk about that back in the day when you used to sit on your couch and you had a big <laughs> TV and there was a flat screen and you just That's watched gone. the action between the baselines. And, yeah. and I think there's, a, there's some evidence that, you know, that experience might change. And, and then, so I, I think that's that, that's one big piece of it. The other is China, of course, and and, yeah. and the glo- global distribution of the game. We know that there are countries that are crazy about it, about the NBA and the product. The question becomes, you know, how do you monetize that? I mean, how like, can we crack the code on China? And uh, from a distribution standpoint, I, I think, I mean, if there are, you know. If, couple hundred million people in China eager to watch this game on a regular basis. Obviously, that represents a huge revenue stream for the league. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be 
I, I think that's going to be one of the existential questions for the league. And if they can crack it, wow, you could imagine an NBA where, uh, frankly, the American consumer is probably less important than the Chinese one in the next generation. Probably so. uh, and and that, that would be a really interesting uh, wrinkle for the game. I agree. I really, I really agree with your t- your point on on virtual reality too. People are going to be able to put themselves like literally front row at any time. I think from anywhere. That's that's a good point. What's what's this trend going on with NBA teams buying real estate too? Yeah, it's, it's a story I'm working on. Um, it, it, I think going back to the broadcasting piece, it's first of all number one. It's getting very expensive to run a team. I mean, you're seeing the salary cap go up and up. Uh, there's an arms race for performance and all sorts of uh, ancillary support within basketball operations. These staffs are massive. I mean, you used to be able to fit basically an entire NBA basketball operations staff in, 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 a, in a minivan. And now you've got staffs that are uh, and scouting staffs that have grown exponentially <laughs> performs assistant general managers, assistant, assistant general managers, <laughs> analytic staffs. I mean, it, it's enormous. And so I, these, these teams are very expensive to maintain. They want to, you know, there's an arms race for training facilities. Those things cost a fortune to Jeez, build. Sure. So teams are looking at different revenue streams. And one of those could be the real estate business. I mean, the Golden State Warriors are going to own 550,000 square feet of commercial real estate. Uh, the Sacramento Kings, the Atlanta Hawks, the Toronto Raptors. I mean, a lot of these teams are getting into real estate as uh, what will be a substantial revenue stream for them. And, I, you know, it'll, it'll also be interesting to see if technology happens. I mean, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch owners like Steve Ballmer, if they actually create technological products sort of using basketball as the guinea pig. And... Good point. These are no longer family businesses. And, and as recently as a decade ago, that was not the case. These were essentially family businesses. Yeah. And now they're going to be enterprises. They're going to be uh, you know, subsidiaries of basketball teams, leveraging the basketball team brand to, again, acquire other assets. And that, that it, it is just it, it's exploding. And, you know, it not only has the game been professionalized, but I think the entities themselves have been corporatized. And, and there's nothing wrong with that per se, but it, 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 I think we might look at a day where the actual basketball represents a fraction of the actual team business. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's what goes on in Japan. They have companies and the companies have all their different entities and then still a basketball team. So it's a company first that's generating all the revenue and then they have their basketball team instead of the bus family, family driven NBA team like the Lakers used to be. I think you're right. Tell you what, it's a great first half of the podcast, The Game of Life with Kevin Arnovitz, and an even better second half coming up. Who knows? Maybe in the next five years, there will be an NBA player that comes out. We'll see. On the second half, you are going to go in-depth on the future of the NBA and probably the coolest travel story you've ever heard. Coming up in the second half, but before we do, before we get back to that, Got to tell you about today's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible, get a free audiobook download for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com backslash game of life. It's over 180,000 titles of books you can choose from on your iPhone, Android, everything. And I'm going to recommend the book that is in the three-pointers of the week. So that means you have to listen to the end of the podcast to get that recommendation 
I'm trying to read a book a week. Trying. That's the key. But with Audible, it makes it a lot easier. So when I'm on my walks, on car, car rides, drives, whatever I'm doing when I'm traveling, you're able to get a free audiobook download for 30 days given the opportunity to check out their service at audibletrial.com backslash game of life it will be in the show notes time for the second half of the game of life podcast and you know we have the rapid fire coming up too as well let's get it what do you think about training like creating the next level athlete that's what i'm trying to crack the code on i know it's it's getting so much more in depth on sleep longevity recovery everything efficient you think there's uh, any trends that that you see that might happen in the next 10, 15 years? Yeah, we're doing really well in that performance area, though. You know, I always wonder, are we doing well? Like, like it, it does it are guys, you know, it'll be interesting to see if guys just become more durable. And, you know, for all the training and the performance and 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 the care they're getting, you know, or guys are still missing eight, 10 weeks or for whatever. And I'm not suggesting it's, it's not useful. I, I've been the big, you know, I'm, 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 you know, the biggest fanboy of this stuff of all. Um, but I, I think that stuff will continue to improve. I think psychometrics are going to be the next thing. We know so little about the human brain right now. And I think exploration of the human brain is going to be in the next 40 years, a, a huge, a, a, a huge part. And naturally with, with, basketball as well you know will we will we be able to quantify trust which is something i've talked about and you've talked about with a couple of of neurologists and you know will we be able to map people's brains and actually hey that guy's got a point guard's brain why well well look at how you know he responds to this situation or that situation wow he has we we have been able to identify the um the hormone that associated with trust and and wow he's got a lot of it and I do think that will be a really interesting uh, development. And we're already seeing, I mean, teams are much more sophisticated in their psychological analyses of, of players. And yeah. um, I think there will be a lot of trial and error. Like I do think, you know, we, we might look back at this era as, hey, there was a lot of really good science and there was some junk science. And I, I think that's going to be, that's, that's part of any laboratory, right? You, yeah. you do trial and error. But I do think psychometrics might be next is really understanding the brain. And, and, you know, I mean, some of that stuff, I mean, on a very basic level, things like, you know, m- mindfulness meditation and, yep. you know, a lot of these guys are using headspace and you know, sleep is kind of part of that because it, it, it deals specifically with the brain. And, but that to me will be something fun to watch. Spot on. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that is the next level. It'll be as in terms of physical, it'll be longevity and how you recover and how quickly you can recover from these back-to-backs and hacking, travel, and every type of jet lag possible and being the highest performance that way. But I think neurologically is where the advancements are going to take place. I think it's a really good point. Let's go into your articles. So I think you do a great job, or I know you do a great job of picking articles and writing articles that have deeper impact on people's lives, not just writing about, oh, this guy had a great game, something on-court basketball, but you're looking at more of stories, more deep, I mean, heartfelt stories. How do you go about choosing your articles? Let's start with that, and then are there any articles that stick out to you that you went into and just really had an impact on your life? Covering the league is this process, and I remember my first few years, 
I mean, think think of the league as is sort of a Matryoshka doll, like one of those little Russian dolls where they're <laughs> they're small ones inside the next size and the next size and the next size. And so the first few years covering the league, you're just kind of learning the league. How does this work? You're going backstage for the first time, and you can be completely absorbed just with the immediate game that that first doll, which is you know what's materializing on the court. How does a game plan become orchestrated? How do organizations fundamentally work. What are the issues that govern front office behavior, govern uh, relationships between players? And and you're kind of, it takes you, I think, a few years just to, and there's so, there's so much fodder within the game that um, you, you can stay occupied with that. And then I think over time, one of the things that at least happened for me is you start to zoom out. So you, you kind of are now proficient in uh, the machinations of the NBA. So now you're looking at, you're looking down from 30,000 feet as you're, as you're getting higher and higher. And it's like, Oh wow. The, the NBA is this one little planet in a much larger galaxy that is life. And you know, so at a certain point you start focusing, I think a little more, at least for me, I, I started focusing a little more on, you know, sort of, sort of life's metaphors. I mean, how does, how can basketball explain life? How can it explain management? How can it explain business? How can it explain the brain? And you, you start looking at stories that provide a look, you know, I always say like, I, I would love for many of my stories, I, I would always love a story to be able to be read by the most casual basketball fan or for that matter, yeah. someone who doesn't even who maybe can name one or two players um, but is curious about subcultures and worlds and life. And that, that to me is always a, a really good test uh, who, who, you know, and, and it's the most affirming compliments I always get is, Hey, Hey, you know, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I really like what you wrote about organizational culture because, you know, it, it reminded me of my firm and these are conversations we've had uh, about identity and, you know, value alignment between, you know, people in the organization. And I think, so it's really a matter of just kind of you start really granular in the NBA, and I love doing X's and O's the first few years, and and then you just expand out and sort of see basketball in the larger la- landscape of of business, of management, of whatever it is. That that's right on, and that's that's what I see in you too as being. A, a renaissance man or i've had a lot of people on the podcast that have joked with them that they could be the dos equis most interesting man and you definitely could like talking oh with I, you. I i i i for someone who basically goes to bed at like 9 50 <laughs> on non-game nights I, I think i would aim much higher for interesting oh man you are beyond interesting just tell the audience a little bit about your travel we'll jump into that it's showing how cultural you are give the audience and me one spot that would blow their mind, some place that no one knows about that's really, really cool, and a place that is on your bucket list that you will really want to go to and visit. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, I took a trip in 2013 to Ethiopia. And Sweet. That, that was a – is it my favorite trip? I don't know. Japan's still my favorite place to go. Agreed. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to go back there for Thanksgiving for a few days, but Ethiopia is so unique because you're having these constant, beautiful encounters with the ancient. It is just an, you're over, I mean, you go to, you know how you go to Europe as an American, you're like, wow, this is old. No, like Ethiopia is (laughs) like cradle of civilization and beyond ancient. I mean, it, it, it makes, honestly, it makes Europe look like 
a sub a track subdivision, you know, in the Sun Belt. Like, like <laughs> that's how old Ethiopia is. And it was just one experience after the other. I was in this town, Lalabella, which is you know, kind of on the circuit of of beautiful old ancient sites and mm-hmm. Ethiopia. And you know, someone sort of said, Are you, you know, you're going to go to mass on Sunday morning. And you know, I wasn't planning on it. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to go, you know, more flavor. You, you always like to be a fly on the wall at these, mm-hmm. at these truly authentic experiences. And they're like, all right, yeah, be downstairs at four 30 in the morning. And so, you know, you go downstairs at four 30 in the morning and I shuffle out to this, you know, to the road, which, you know, it's a dirt road and it's just like passing by and these sort of hushed tones and there's no moonlight. It's just dark, but are these just all these residents, I mean, the, 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 mostly men, but wearing these incandescent, like white robes. So it's like, you have this dark pitch, dark night and just these kind of white robes in the, in the, in the kind of the shuffling of feet of, of people, these pilgrims essentially walking to the church. And, you know, so you go with them and some of them have candles and, um, and, you know, you get to the church a little after five and, you know, there are, I mean, there are hordes of people, um, uh, there is music. There are just, you know, yes. there are these Cabero drums that are, with, with kind of scrums around them. So different <laughs> corners of the church. I'm of course like the only person in there not in a robe. And yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, which is always, it's always both kind of empowering and transporting because you almost feel like you're a time traveler. Yeah. Um, you just kind of put on your clothes, you went into this machine, you, it dropped you off in this place. Um, but it was just so beautiful. I mean, you you could hear these Cabrera drums like in your your sternum. You could feel them, wow. and, uh, and 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 you just imagine that it's the same service essentially that's been going on in this ancient church. I mean, how many Sundays in a row? What like like five hundred and twenty yeah. Sundays in a decade, fifty two hundred in a, in a in a century? Like probably thousands and thousands of of, of Sundays w- without break, and, and um, it just kind of. I'm not somebody who likes tradition as a general authority and I'm not a religious person, but I, I, I do think the breadth of tradition and lineage is, is really powerful. And I mean, there were so many moments like that in Ethiopia. I, I, I went on a four day trek in the Simeon mountains, kind of in the highlands. And, you know, I mean, it, to me, I always love like right when you get to camp in the late afternoon is, is, is this is kind of a wonderful period. You, know, you take your pack off, you take your boots off and, you know, I usually like find a rock, to go read on, just kind of just chill. And, and it, it was just a particularly beautiful day because it was actually beautiful for it being kind of ominous because it was like clouds and wind were rolling in from Mount Blahit. And, you know, I'm sitting on this plane. I mean, it's, it's treeless. It's, it looks like the step. And it was like, and it starts kind of hearing these bells and it's, you know, it basically it's a sound of a, a girl, probably no older than 12 or 13 or 14, kind of walking these horses across this trail on this kind of on this sloping hillside. And she's singing, um, kind of this lovely old traditional Asmari verse, um, kind of ancient, I don't call them lullabies, but, um, and a musicologist could do much better with this. Um, I I was merely educated by my guide, um, (laughs) when I asked him later what was going on and, you know, she's, she's singing these with this gentle lilt and it's beautiful. And, you know, there's a certain point where I pick up on the tune and there, there are these pauses between verses and I start kind of whistling back and it became this beautiful call and response. I mean, and by the way, she's, 
mean, she's got to be at least a hundred yards away. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't see her face, but it's like there are moments like that. I felt like in Ethiopia that were so transporting and so consuming and, and so unfiltered. I mean, I, I, you know, you travel everywhere. I mean, you're, you're often doing it professionally, but I, as a policy, I don't connect to the internet. Generally speaking, when I go to places like this, I mean, you know, Europe, it's a little different and you know, I, I pretty much stay off. I don't have anything on my phone. I don't have my phone. I, I never take my phone off of airplane mode, sort of a rule. Um, I use it as a camera and that's exclusively it. But, um, I mean, I think with each passing year kind of being in the media maelstrom, you just, that has become such an important feature of these trips for me. I don't just not being online, man. I, I, I love that. I love that. I think in a day and age where we are just checking our phones, I'm sure there's some stat out there that is like every five seconds or 200 times a day. I, I, yeah, it's it's outlandish. Yeah, when, when you you hear what that it's like, I think ninety times a day. I, I, it's funny. I'm always encouraging friends, almost in a bossy way. I always feel like a little bit of a dick, but just like, like I don't think travel is really pure if you're connected anymore. Like I, I really don't. I, I don't. And the 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 further and further down this rabbit hole of technology we get, the more adamant I become about not, um, just not being connected. Because I, and I had this experience in Mongolia, I was there for three and a half weeks and you know, I don't think I could have gotten connected if I wanted to, you know, once you got out of Ulaanbaatar, the capital and I, you know, it dawned on me, there was like, there could have been a major world event and I wouldn't have known for like two weeks. And there's something really beautiful about that to have these unfiltered experiences where you're completely. I mean, you are in sort of an ancient world. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, you're you're bumping around in a Russian military van, but but other than that, <laughs> you're basically, you know, when the engines turned off, this is it. And you know, you're and the just I think escaping from technology. Yeah, I and mean, I think there's something really special about just getting away from everything and just being at peace with yourself i think it really does change your mind and change your mindset and just it's a great way to just clear everything just kind of shut down and clear everything i need to do a much better job with that i got i got a ton of respect for you that you do that please keep reminding me when i'm telling you i'm going to some foreign country tell well, me you've done me. like you've done some I mean, you've done uganda which i haven't done oh you got some great ones you've got some ones that you that are coming up too that i don't even i've never even heard of them and I, I, no, Namib- Namibia is going to be fun. I mean, that I, that's where I've chosen for 2018. Although Antarctica is a trip I really want to do, but you got to do it in January. Me too. I want to do it too. Or February. I want to run a basketball camp down in Antarctica. So if you want to go be, be part of my camp, I might need I might need some shooters there at the camp. Dude, I don't think there are any like permanent like residents there. I no, think there are yeah, people we, who work in these in, in these laboratories and, and centers. But uh, right, we bring our own hoop, and we'll do the first ever basketball camp down in antarctica you know what you probably i don't know who you go through to like but there's i mean i mean they, they there's stuff like that goes on i think they, that's yeah. like something they do for the people who spend a lot of time down there is they provide them these certain amenities and try to at least make it approximate real life in a real place because it's so isolated but i i suspect you could like totally like so I'm, hit somebody up say let me do a camp i can do it for a reasonable price like that would be that would be incredible yeah, to be I'm, the first, to, you could run the first basketball camp in Antarctica. Okay, man, I'm serious. Like this is gonna happen. 
hey, if you want to do it, you want to come with me, we can pick the same time to go. Put a little thing out there on ESPN so people get behind it. They'll support us. We'll go do down you there. you know how incompetent my basketball skills are? That's why you're going to the camp. You're going to get no, better. No, no, no. Like, I, 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 like you could grab a penguin off a glacier who would have more agility in game than I would have. Then that's the one-on-one showdown. Then we film a little bit, put it out there, Kevin versus Penguin. I I like this idea that you become the first coach to have clinics in all seven continents. I'm in. You've got what? You've got North America down, Africa down, Asia down. I'm assuming you've done camps in Europe. Oh, yeah. Done all six. I need. Wait, I, wait, you've done New Zealand or, or, or uh, Australia? Australia all the time. Yeah, I used to play down there. So I'm going I go down there every January. I chase the sun. OK. And then Australia. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. South America. South America. Yep. Brazil. Right. So I think this is part of your sales pitch. I think. No. So this is real. You'd have to do it in, the su- in their summer. So you, it would be like in January or February. And I'm. Um, the research centers are there. Have you got in touch with like the research center? I mean, basically what? They pay your way? That's Provide fine. whatever amenities need. I mean, they need to build a court or you've got to build a court. Yeah, or we just put up a hoop on the ice and we just do a little camp and we say we were the first people to do it. Yeah, it's a trip I really want to do. We're doing and it. largely because, you know, you want to, you want to, you know, you want to fill the bingo card and, you know, that would be seven continents for me. Yeah. Um, and you would have even more. I mean, you, not only on seven continents, but but running a basketball clinic on seven continents. Oh, okay, I'm hitting them after that. After this, for sure. Let's we'll, we'll keep talking about it. Let's do it. I'm all in. All right, I'm gonna put you on the hot seat. I could talk to you all day about travel, and you are coming out with the travel podcast, right? I am. Called okay. for traveling. I think we'll be in in 2018. Okay. All I ask is that you put me on that at one time, and I'll talk a bunch of gibberish about my travel. Indeed. Okay, the hot seat. So you can just answer these rapid fire. It'll be one word, however long you want them to be. Any models that you live by or best advice that you've ever gotten? I mean, my father's favorite is a good deed never goes unpunished, um, but uh, which, is, which is pretty cynical. But you know, I'm not, I'm not a big motto chicken soup of the soul guy. I mean, for a while. Uh, you know, several, several years ago, I know, like things weren't going great professionally for me. And I, I, I think they're always, it's a human tendency to, to fall into phases of self-pity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching, this must have been the very early days of NBA TV where they'd have the press conferences after the playoff games televised. And Pop said something really profound. I, I guess they'd lost the previous game. In, in a totally excruciating fashion, despite having played very well or gotten a couple bad breaks. And so the reporter says something to the, uh, something to the effect of, Hey, did you guys feel like you kind of, after everything that happened, deserve this one? And, and pop in classic pop fashion said, you don't deserve anything. You, you just go and play. You know, if you start thinking about what you deserve and what you don't deserve, it just makes you soft. So you just go play. <laughs> and I, I just, I, it was, I, it's like I rewound, I transcribed it, and I put it up on a piece of paper over my desk. It was there for like, like six or seven years, That's but um, yeah, just because it's sort of like yeah. I, I kind of love this notion that you know you don't deserve anything. Like you, and it's also it, it, it's a very process result thing, right? Like that's yeah. the other one. It, it's funny how many basketball truisms I've adopted. Again, not as mantras, but but just. Process results, another one. And that, that is essentially is a process result. You don't deserve anything. You go play and 
you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, provided that the process is strong, as long as you get good looks and you're not going to hit them every night. But, but it's funny how all these tropes of professional basketball have become, I don't want to say life lessons, but I'd be lying if I said they haven't informed everyday life for me. I like it. And anything coming from pop, you know, it's going to be good too. So we are both life hacks and health nuts. Maybe me uh, a little bit too much over the top. I think you more than me. Yeah, I am. Um, I, like, I was at a game today, an afternoon game at the Staples Center, and I must have eaten like uh, 275 calories worth of M&Ms. <laughs> right out of the, you know, they have the, they have the ice cream bar with the dessert toppings, and I don't even Sounds go for the ice. Good. I just go right for the toppings. Yeah, okay. I, I got you beat a little bit then. I'm right now talking to you wearing light like led blocking glasses while i have lavender diffusing in my room and just drink some bone broth so i'm a little bit over the top but we won't talk all about that anyways what are some life hacks or routines that you do on a daily basis that help you to continually improve every day i'm I'm, I'm starting to meditate a little more regularly you know it kind of comes and goes you get in habits or not it's just calming the mind when i'm just i'm so freaking mentally hyperactive that calming the mind has become this big thing. Uh, you know, just the, and it's a great hack and I'd be lying if I said I was really faithful to it. I mean, there are weeks where I, you know, do it every, every day and then you fall out of the habit for four or five days. And so, you know, I'm not at the point where it's so routine that I'm, I, I don't need a reminder and I'm, I'm trying to kind of get there where it's just this thing I do at an appointed time I'm the same. I'm uh, the same way. I think yeah. I'm trying to get better at it. And I'm just like, I just try to sit down for 10 minutes and just meditate. And like after three minutes, it feels like it's been an hour and my mind's just going all over the place. So I need to get better at it. But the days that I do do it, I feel a lot more at peace and just a lot better. Totally. My and, day. And, and as if that's not incentive enough, which is what yeah. drives me crazy is like, exactly. yet I, yet I'll go four days without doing it, even though it's this thing, you know, and, and you know, the boredom, hurdle is funny because I, I was using guided meditations. I have a couple, um, there's a great nine minute one from Sam Harris and, um, Joseph Goldstein. I've got one from, and there's this other one I found online. The UCLA website, um, has some really good ones. And, but then I was like, it got to the point where I was so familiar with the guided meditations that it sort of screwed with me because I knew what the next line was going to be. And so now I'm thinking about that and sort of defeats the purpose. So I've started meditating silently and I've actually, it's kind of rejuvenated the practice because, you know, now I just, I I set an alarm and have a little, actually I have a a Tibetan gong, you know, that goes off after 10 minutes, kind of like, if you ever go to, if you, right. If you ever go to a meditation center, like that's, you know, the, 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 the leader will sort of, you know, hit this gong and it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat soothing, but Man, see, you're almost as yeah, crazy I mean, that's as me. That's current, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's a life hack. I feel like yeah. it's, it's almost cliche. I mean, everybody, you know, you got like, you got pieces in the Harvard business review about it. So, but yeah, it's calming. The mind has become a big one. And I, I swear, like, you know, the other one I've eliminated all social media from my phone other than Instagram, just cause you know, you're out and about and I don't do it very much, but um, I've eliminated Twitter and Facebook from, I've gotten off Facebook pretty much altogether. I mean, I still have a thing up there, but I haven't, I, I got off about a week or so ago and just kind of eliminated it. Um, I only have Twitter on my computer now. So if I'm away from the house for, 
for several hours. I, I just don't see it. So, um, I'm really trying to like, uh, this is sort of, I mean, honestly, the only thing I, I mean, there are, I guess several things I, there are several things I don't like about working in media, but by and large, it's been a good career, but, um, I, I, I hate having to be as, as plugged in. Like there's just, it's not as contemplative as it should be. So that, that's been another one. That's a great one. I've been trying to do a better job with that. Just like shutting down at some point in, at night instead of feeling like, oh, I got to do another email. I got to check a text. Just let it be shut down and everything off. That's it's freeing for sure. We haven't even talked about your chef game and how much of a food connoisseur that you are. And now we could have a whole podcast on that alone, which we might have. I'm to. honestly just a pig. I mean, there's not, there's not like, <laughs> it's, there's no mysticism about it. There's nothing like that. I mean, I'm just basically somebody obsessed with Man, food. And every meal like, we've had has been. I don't great. go three minutes in life without thinking about food. Cool. Is really what it's about. I don't think there's any. There's no gourmand. Or, there's nothing highbrow about it. I'm basically a glutton. Well, me. I mean, me too. I think about it every three seconds. But your thoughts? Yeah, but you're are, eating bone broth. Yeah, I mean, that's you're. True. I mean, yeah. you're thinking about it in the context of nourishment and how it can, you know, better condition and you're right. your body. Like I'm thinking about it in like, you know, just mm, soup dumplings. Like I'm like <laughs> frigging Homer Simpson. Like <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, well, this is a tough question, but I like asking this to everyone. If you could invite three people, we'll give you dead or alive, to a dinner party. Who are you bringing with you, and what are you cooking for that meal? Um, wow, that is it's tough. <sighs> you can invite me. You don't have to say I'm coming anyways, but if you want to use me as one of your, third, one of your three people, that's fine. Um, I mean, I think – so Obama's a shoe-in, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean – all right, well, let's, let's go to the food first. Um, right. I think it's got to be Japanese kaiseki, right? Like, like at the it. end of the day, I, I just think they do the best food in the world and it's clean and it's good and it's healthy. Um, and it's aesthetically pleasing and there's a process and it, being that it's a Japanese set meal, it's probably in some really soothing, tasteful place setting. Yeah. So we've got Obama. I mean, that's like just, that's number one seed. It's not even negotiable. I mean, this is a really tough one because, I mean, you can go a couple of different directions. I mean, one is, you know, I mean, he's a serious person. So, you know, this isn't a comedic meal now. Like this is a, this is a deep thoughts meal. This is, this is a brooding symposium meal. And so you could go with someone like Steven Pinker, you know, a cognitive scientist like that, or you could go with, you know, Paul Bloom, or you can go with like, you know, some like, Yuval Harari, who, who, whose book I'm really into, and um, you know, he, he, he's a he's this historian who who does a lot of like evolutionary biology kind of stuff, and and wow, you just have a great conversation, and um, you know, or like if you're doing the NBA, I mean, can we do the given the, yeah. the, the theme here? Let's just do the sure. NBA version. So the NBA version is Obama because he's an enormous basketball fan. Greg Popovich because he's Love pop, it. and he's a good food guy. Yes. Yeah. Like he's a good food guy. Like he would like we're having a great meal and like I don't I don't want to eat with fussy eaters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean that's that's no fun. So you know that pop is good for the meal. Uh and then Kareem. Ooh, I like that. Because Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Well also he, he he's just he is so versatile conversationally. Nice. Like here's this guy who, you know, is politically versed and yet he'll like rip off an essay about my so called life. 
you know, like, like he, he's, he is truly Renaissance. And I think, you know, and like Obama would be into it. Like Kareem pop and Obama is just an incredible group. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm coming regardless what you say. I like that. Okay, let's go last one. We'll let, you, we'll let you off the hot seat after this last one. In a nutshell, if you had one piece of advice to leave the audience, to leave a young kid or someone who wants to follow their passion and live an extraordinary life, what are you dropping on them? <sighs> Maybe I just took it saying follow your passion. That's probably what I would say. I mean... You know, I, I always feel like I'm a little ill-equipped for life advice. Um, I, I also, I, I am, I'm also someone who believes there's no like unified theory of life, and uh, like I don't like ideologies. I, I don't like systems that think they can answer every question. Um, I think it's so situational. Like I, I, I mean, you know, people in your world, right? And would you give every single person the same advice? And the answer, you know, the answer is no. Um, Good point. You know, uh, but. I mean, I, I do think pro- trust the process. How about that one? That's a good one. I like that. All right. Yep. Let's just do that. Let's do it. <laughs> For shits and giggles, it's, okay. tr- it's trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Kevin Arnowitz. I love it. Well, you're off the hot seat, and man, thank you so much for coming off on the podcast. It's a real treat to have you here in the audience. I know picked up a ton from you. I'd love to have you back on. I'm jumping on your travel podcast. We're doing the camp in Antarctica. So much more we got going, man. I, I just... Really, really appreciate your friendship, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk to you soon, my man. Big time thank you to Kevin Arnovitz for gracing us with his presence on the Game of Life podcast. The NBA future is definitely going to be an interesting one, as you can tell. Everything we talked about today will be linked in the show notes and probably even how you can support the cause for getting to that camp in Antarctica. And if you want to come with Hoop with some Penguins, be my guest. Join me. All right, we have the three pointers of the week coming up. But before that, we have two shout outs of the week. Two of them. Thank you, Game of Lifers, for following along. That means a ton to me and your support. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. And that's how I'm able to do this podcast with your support, with your reviews that you leave. Tony Casella from Adelaide, Australia, left a review, five star review on iTunes. Thank you very much, my man. Please jump onto iTunes, leave a review. It helps. Kevin Tarka, a world traveler saying sending a picture on twitter at tarka time 33 morning rituals a lot of faith and gratitude humble and hungry shout out to game of life podcast david nurse and james mcadoo for the inspiration being a believer in the nba and this one's great coming from chris mccullum over in germany he says david i can't wait to see you when you come over to europe and tour through doing your camps It's been almost two years since I've seen you, but it feels like I talk to you every week on the Game of Life podcast. Keep up the great work. That's really special to me. That means a lot to me to get this feedback from you guys, to know that you're listening and know that you're enjoying it and that it's having some type of positive impact on you. And that's the main thing. That's what I'm hoping to do with this podcast. If it can help somebody out there have a little more motivation, a little more hope in their life, a little more joy in their life, then that's what it's all about for sure. 
Reach out to me, David Nurse 5 on Twitter, David Nurse 5 Instagram, email me, whatever it might be. Get a hold of me. I want to hear from you because we're coming up soon with listener question and answer. So send over your questions and it might get selected and you might be selected to win tickets to your choice going down on Christmas Day is the drawing to NBA tickets of your choice. Finally announced any game you want to see this year going down 25th of December, Christmas All right, without further ado, it is time for the best part of the week, the three-pointers of the week. Three-pointer number one, the book that I am reading, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. This one has lived through generations. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, this is a memoir of his between 1942 and 45 when he was laboring in four different Nazi camps, including Auschwitz while his parents, brother, and pregnant wife all perished. So it's basically based on his own experience and experience of others treated that he treated through this time, treated through his practice, finding the meaning of life. You will move forward with a renewed purpose after reading this book. Very, very interesting read. Three-pointer number two, the life hack that I am testing. This life hack is actually... Super cool. It's more than just one. It's Bulletproof Labs. The first Bulletproof Labs with next level training equipment, recovery equipment like float tanks. It's got Vasper, ARX. It's basically the future of athletic training. Dave Asprey's brainchild, Bulletproof Coffee, and now he's looking to increase longevity and just live the healthiest most efficient life possible. We've created Bulletproof Labs, and I've been been blessed to go test the products and test this next-level stuff, and it is amazing. Be on the lookout for more of me and Bulletproof Labs doing some work together. Check it out. And the third three-pointer of the week, the NBA behind-the-scenes info that you only get here on the Game of Life podcast. The question was raised to me, what coach in the NBA works the hardest or works the most? Well, the one coach that I would say that probably all NBA coaches, if asked this question, would answer the same way, it's Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau is the ultimate grinder. He will be watching film all day, all night long, texting coaches, texting players at 3 a.m. in the morning. That's what the word is. And I was at an NBA pre-draft workout uh, this past spring where all the NBA coaches and GMs and it started at eight in the morning. I got there early because I had to bring a player there. So I was there at about 7 a.m. when the earliest ones there. Thibodeau was already in his seat, had his notebook ready, had his laptop with film watching. He probably spent the night over there. So Tom Thibodeau is the reputable one when it comes to doing the most work, but could potentially be grinding players as well. Yeah, we'll see how it pays off for Minnesota. He's a very, very, very good coach, though, as you know. Well, there you have it. Thank you for another very enjoyable week on the Game of Life podcast. Coming up, little previews. We have another listener question and answer, so please send in your questions. Have a review over the last 15 podcasts, the best of the best. And little treat coming up. We're going to go behind the scenes pretty soon on how the Golden State Warriors dynasty was built and how to create ultimate culture in the NBA, plus many top other entrepreneurs, high-level performers like a Navy SEALs elite coming at you in the next coming weeks on the Game of Life podcast. Hope you all have an awesome, blessed week. Go out there, do something out of your comfort zone to encourage someone, to make someone's life better. And remember, life's a journey. Enjoy it. David Nurse, Game of Life, signing off.